So, we are currently in our third week of our Advent series. If you have a Bible with you, I'm going to ask you to open it to the Gospel of Luke chapter 1. We're going to be looking at a couple of stories in there. This is uh, the third Sunday, as I said, of our Advent series. We do this every year where we, we, we want to remind ourselves in the four Sundays of Advent coming up to Christmas Day um, what this is really all about. And uh, so our title for our series has been, What Child Is This? And our first two messages, uh, I spoke a fair bit in, in the, the, the prelude to the messages about the, the contrast between the story the most popular stories that are being told in our world today. You guys all know the story, right? It's the guy in the red suit, right? And, and, and the Christmas trees and the lights and the giving of gifts. And we concluded that that's an awesome story. That really is a fun and exciting story, but it is just that. It's just a story, right? And we've been comparing that, though, to the real story, to the true story, and learning a few things about it. It was interesting this past week, I was watching the news and uh, these things always pop up to me, being an ex-business uh, guy uh, in the field of marketing, advertising, and I see these things. And I, they, Anyway, I saw this, this news broadcast coming out of Vancouver Island News, and the first item on the news was, and it, it happens every year, you've got to be ready for this, Christian, you've got to be ready for it, but the first thing that I saw was there was a, a council person in Victoria who was you know, putting for a, or a forward a motion that, hey, listen, we need to stop all this Xmas stuff. Like, get rid of, even, like, get rid of the trees, the lights, anything, anything that might remotely be uh, non-inclusive and may make people feel like this is a religious holiday. Now, there was just the one guy, but, I mean, he was, like, was on the news, right? And he, you got to expect it. I've been seeing this for, like, 20, 30 years. Almost every Christmas, at some point, you're going to see a news item like this. But the interesting thing, then they had a clip of a guy who's actually the mayor of the city of Duncan. I'm kind of outing him here, but he was being interviewed, and, and because there are people asking the same question there, and, and I'm going to quote him. He says this, I want to make this very clear. Nothing of what we are doing here has anything to do with Jesus or religion. Is that clear? <laughs> and I'm like, that's pretty clear. That's pretty clear. So it's out there, right? It's out there. And so we, we, I hope we've learned in the last couple of weeks is this, a couple things. We, we should expect this. We should expect this every year. And I've seen Christians respond over the last 10, 20, 30 years rather poorly to this expectation. And the reason why we've been saying this in our series that we should expect this is simply this. It's not their job. Sorry, is it? Is it? It's not. It's not the district of Squamish's job to tell the story in the lights. And, but for some reason, we as the church, we as Christians have really kind of made it like our job to want to convince them that they need to tell the story. It's our job. It's our job. I hope that's what we've been learning. I hope that if anything else is what we take away this Christmas is that we tell the story. And you know what? We start with our little ones. <laughs> we start with our kids. Not only here on Sunday, but you in your homes, telling your children, reading the Christmas story. And then when you get an opportunity, sharing it with your neighbor, your friends, your coworker, those who are, and I think as we'll see today, looking for a savior, looking for something that will actually save them because the other stories, they won't. So in week one, we learned that Mary and Joseph had dreams for their lives, had a vision for their story, right? Until God showed up and said, change your plans. 
right? Mary, there's going to be a change of plans. You, within the next few seconds, are going to become pregnant by the Holy Spirit, and you're going to have a child, and Joseph doesn't know about this yet, but the angel Gabriel will speak to him, and he will be freaked out and want to divorce you, but will make sure that he understands that he's not supposed to do that. Change of plans. And so what child is this? Well, we learned in the first message that he is God. He is God in the flesh come into this world. Last week, we discovered that Jesus was and is also this. Amen. He is fully man for God and fully God for you and I. And that's important. And we learned that, la- that, that last week. This week, my hope is, is that we're going to see that this child, what is this child? What child is this? I hope we're this week we're going to see this. He is Savior. We've been singing those words this morning. He is Savior. And so your sermon title today is He is Savior. hope to show you it in three ways. Number one, a young woman's Savior. Number two, an old man's savior. And then as we've been doing every week, asking the question within those stories, where do we find the best story ever in the stories of the birth of Jesus, the first Christmas over 2,000 years ago? So in Luke chapter 1, verses 46 to 56, read with me if you have your Bibles. I'm going to read those verses right now, and then we're going to dive in. This is number one, a young woman's savior. And Mary said, My soul magnifies the Lord, and my spirit rejoices in God my Savior. For he has looked on the humble estate of his servant. For behold, from now on all generations will call me blessed. For he who is mighty has done great things for me, and holy is his name. And his mercy is for those who fear him from generation to generation." He has shown strength with his arm. He has scattered the proud in the thoughts of their hearts. He has brought down the mighty from their thrones and exalted those of humble estate. He has filled the hungry with good things. And the rich he has sent away empty. He has helped his servant Israel in remembrance of his mercy as he spoke to our fathers, to Abraham, and to his offspring forever. And Mary remained about with her, with Elizabeth, about three months, and then she returned home. <laughs> this is the word of the Lord that we read this morning, and we'll be looking at another passage shortly. So, so we know part of Mary's story from a week ago, as I've mentioned already a little bit. She was visited by the angel Gabriel, and he told her that her plans for her life, this, this vision that she had of, of marrying her her sweetheart. I mean, she's 13 to 15 years of age. Joseph's a little bit older, and she's been betrothed to him, and she's looking forward to this week-long celebration that is the Jewish marriage, and, it's, and she's ready for this. She's committed herself to this, and she's probably looking at all these plans in the future about, you know, like what, what our home is going to look like. He's a carpenter. Hopefully, he's going to be really successful, and we're going to be able to maybe move away from this little town that we live in, and it's going to be better, and, and she had all these plans as any young woman had, and then God shows up and says, plans have changed. The Holy Spirit was about to come over her, and she would become pregnant with a son who would be the son of the Most High. Plans have changed? (laughs) Yes, rather dramatically. So she's a little surprised, to say the least, at first, but she responds remarkably as a young woman, remarkably in faith and with a servant's heart. The angel also tells her that her Aunt Elizabeth who was very old and had been barren for her whole life, is now six months pregnant. And so the angel tells her that as well, reveals that to her, 
Um, Mary then, of course, runs off right after that. She hasn't seen Joseph yet. She runs off to see her Aunt Elizabeth. And the minute she arrives in Elizabeth's home, the minute she arrives, Elizabeth tells her that the baby in her womb, who is John the Baptist, leapt for joy. And then she tells Mary that she knows that Mary is also pregnant with her Lord. We, we don't read in the text that Mary had told her, hey, I'm pregnant. <laughs> we don't read that. Elizabeth reveals that to her. So this is all very miraculous. Two women, hear this, are miraculously pregnant. And they both know that the child that Mary is carrying is Lord. That's remarkable. It's no wonder then that Mary breaks out in this really beautiful song that I've just read for you which begins again this way. I'll put the beginning verses on screen. She says, My soul, my soul magnifies the Lord, and my spirit rejoices in God my Savior, for he has looked on the humble estate of his servant. For behold, from now on all nations, all generations, pardon me, will call me blessed. For he who is mighty has done great things for me, and holy, holy is his name. So we get the, uh, the title for this song. In most of your Bibles, it'll say just above the passage, which is not in the original manuscripts. But we get the title called the Magnificat from the Latin word that describes the word magnify. And that's where we get the title from. But notice what, what, when, when she's speaking here, just notice that everything within her, everything within her, both her, her soul and her spirit are magnifying and rejoicing in the good news of a Savior. This has been revealed to her by the Holy Spirit. She's 13 to 15 years of age, and she's exclaiming these words, these theologically deep words, this understanding, which is remarkable. It's beautiful. She's submitted to the change that God has given to her, and immediately she's, she's heard Elizabeth declare. She's had confirmation that she is pregnant. By the way, there were no tests back in those days, right? This is confirmation that she's pregnant. Now, maybe she'd been having mourning, whatever, Maybe not, but she's received confirmation from Elizabeth that she is pregnant indeed, and she's praising God, despite the fact that Joseph is going to find out. And we've been through that a couple of weeks ago, like that whole situation, like how's that going to work out? What's Joseph going to think? What are his friends going to think? Yeah, mm -hmm. the Holy Spirit, right? Mm -hmm. Good story, Joseph. So here we have, listen, we have this young woman who uses language that says basically this in translation, all of me, all of who I am, enlarges and praises my Savior God. And then she tells us the first reason why. The first reason why she feels this way. She feels compelled to utter these words. She says, for, because, he has looked on the humble estate of his servant. Mary has already been told by the angel Gabriel that she has been favored by God. Oh, favored one, you have found favor with God, right? And we learned a couple of weeks ago that that word is the word in the Greek, kerios, which is from the root charis, which means grace. God's grace has been poured out on her, and, and she, she understands that in his grace being poured out on her, she is forgiven. She understands this. 
And so this is what we are seeing here, her exclamation of these words. He has looked on the humble estate of a servant. This is the true sign of a Christian. Blessed are those who are poor in spirit, for they shall inherit the kingdom of heaven. The Beatitudes begin with, right? Humble. A person who is humble that the Son of God would reveal himself even to them. Even to them. To save them of all people. That's a humble and contrite heart. Mary has that, and she's declaring that with her. So she opens her song with one of the most beautiful pictures of, listen, of who God is and what he has done. Again, I, I read one, one, one commentary where it was saying that there, there are modern critics of the Bible, and they say, you know, this is, this is obviously written by Luke or some other people, right, who, you know, just wanted to make it, it sound really theologically robust. It almost sounds like Romans, you know, and, and all the rest of it. This couldn't be a 13 to 15-year-old young woman. Nonsense. It is, Mary. Being inspired by the Holy Spirit to sing this song. Luke's recording these words. He wasn't there. How in the world would he know what she sang? Because she was still alive when he was creating his orderly account for his good friend Theophilus. We can trust God's word. And so we, she's really telling us who God is and what he has done. Her soul is magnify him, magnifying him, not herself. Her spirit rejoices in him for saving her and for now making her destiny, her life to be blessed because of what he has done and what he will do, no matter what. And you know what? The next 30, 33 years of her her life are not going to be easy. They're not going to be easy. They're going to be very, very challenging. And so she continues with these words. And his mercy is for those who fear him. From generation to generation, he has shown strength with his arm. He has scattered the proud in the thoughts of their hearts. He has brought down the mighty from their thrones and exalted those of humble estate. I remember preaching a little bit on this a couple of years ago and making the point that this is Mary is is preaching the gospel before the gospel has actually been lived out by her son. The gospel is seen right in her words here. She's seeing ahead to Jesus' life and ministry. She speaks to the mighty to the rich and the rulers of this world, not just those who are literally financially rich, but she lumps them all into one word that best describes the lost and the religious in our world today, the proud. Those who are unable to humble themselves. Humble themselves before God. The pattern's always the same. The pattern's always the same with God and in his economy. God always lifts up the humble and humbles the proud. The song of Mary announces both the gospel and the arrival of the one who will conquer the world, the king of kings in this world. And then she continues with a very key verse. 53, she says, He has filled the hungry with good things, and the rich he has sent away. He has helped his servant Israel in remembrance of his mercy as he spoke to our fathers, to Abraham and to his offspring forever. And Mary, Mary reminded her, remained with her about three months and returned to her home. So she goes right here in deep into the heart of the gospel for us and our need for a savior with these words. The truth is, I hope we understand this today, especially at Christmas, we're all hungry people. We're all hungry. You ever been really, really, really hungry? Like physically starving? 
ever ever decided to take a break from eating for three or four days to go on a fast for maybe a week? It actually gets better, you know, the longer you're fast. Not that I have a lot of experience with it. Tried it a couple times for a long time. Have you ever been really hungry? Boy, you understand hunger when you're starving. I don't think many of us in our North American culture really understand that. But we really, 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 humanly speaking, we're all hungry people. And I would suggest we're starving, in fact. Oftentimes we wouldn't know it, especially when we're posting pictures of our anniversary dinners up in Whistler, right? And, and how wonderful that looks, and food and wine, and you would never know it, at least physically. You'd never know it by all the pictures, again, and the promotion of our homes and our toys and our travel and our beautiful kids and our happiest days. You would never know that we are spiritually, spiritually, deeply hungry people. But we are. So there's this other form of hunger or starvation, isn't there? Starving maybe. How about this? How about starving for attention, (laughs) Uh, approval uh, of loving affection, like from a very good friend or even from your husband or your wife? Or how about, (laughs) really, meaning and purpose in your life, starving for being able to get up every day on a Monday morning and saying, yes, this is what I was made to do. I think if we, if we look at it in that way, then we might have much more of a real sense of what Mary is getting at in this verse here today. Because this is deeply profound. This is deeply related to the gospel. The gospel. When you are truly at a point of starvation, then the simplest thing will be both a good thing and, you know what, it will fill you up. Just the simplest thing. My wife and I are away this week for our 40th anniversary, uh, which was a real blessing, and we were blessed by a a gift of many things. But my wife, one of the things I love about her, I really love about her, is not that she's cheap, but she's very utilitarian. She will not allow me to spend great gobs of money on her, right? And uh, which is wonderful, (laughs) But the simplest thing, the simple little act of service blesses her to just beyond belief. I've learned that after 40 years. Men, find out what she loves. Acts of service are amazing little things that will fill you up. It, it could be the simplest of meals, the briefest of private text, just a small answer to prayer. But here's why. Listen, here's why we need a Savior. Let's remember this. Okay, let's remember this. Christian, I I know you're going to understand this. If you're here today and you're not a Christian, this might be a little bit of a shock to you. But the reality is, we truthfully, we do understand, I hope, that we are broken. We are sinners. So it's not pretty when you get to the core of it. We're generally not satisfied with the simple, are we? It's not enough. We sometimes think that we actually deserve better out of this life. Why is this happening to me? Why is this happening to my family? Why now? Why didn't I get this? And that is why she says this and what is meant by, and the rich he sends away empty. Again, as I've said, this is not about those who are financially rich necessarily. This is about those who are proud and those who find themselves satisfied with what they've got, which, with what they've provided for themselves. Those riches 
can be all the good things that God has given to us, but now we expect nothing but good, and frankly, all the time, and frankly, it should get better. That's an expectation. So here's the big problem for all of us. The big problem for all of us, for me, I've, in my business career, experienced this. Pride is, is really an awful thing, but the reality is most of us think that that's somebody else's problem. That's not my problem. Oh, me, I'm not, I'm not proud, but so-and-so, uh, yeah, they're proud. I mean, when they do this or do that. I mean, I, I could say they're proud. So here's, here's what, let me suggest to you what it looks like from God's perspective. When we start to feel satisfied with ourselves, with our financial situation, with our homes, our ability to travel and sun whenever we want it, Lord willing, it's sometimes necessary here in Squamish, whenever we want it, to enjoy not just simple food, but gourmet to the max with the finest of wines and on and on, we are in danger, especially in our North American culture, of feeling so full, even though our over, in our overabundance we fail to see how full we really are, feeling so full that we no longer pursue God in the way that we should. His righteousness, His kingdom first, and his best provisions for us on a daily basis. So here's what could happen. One day, even if you don't lose one or more of these things, you will end up feeling they, they will not be enough. Then when we lose any one of these things that we have to feel rich in, we become disappointed, not just in ourselves, not just in this life, but we become disappointed in God himself. And that's what Luke is saying here, that listen, even the rich, they, they eventually are going to be hungry, hungry for more of what truly, truly satisfies. So Mary's song is profound. She's just a young woman, but she's a young woman who has trusted in her Savior, and she has the Holy Spirit, and her eyes and her heart has been opened up to the truth of who God is and what He has done and what He's going to do, which is going to change who she is and how then she should live her life. It's an anthem that points us to a place of humility where glory in God, not so much for what He has done or does do for us, but for, listen, who He is. We don't pray to God. We don't worship God because of what he does for us. If we do, we're missing the point. We do that because of who he is. Who he is. We lift him up. We lift him up. And so I I hope you will see this with Mary, of course, that one thing's very clear about Mary. It's very clear that she knew she had a need for a Savior. So number one, we saw with Mary a young woman's savior. Let's look at number two, an old man's savior. I don't feel like I'm quite there yet, but this, this fella is. So let's begin reading in verse 67. Um, this is the story about Zechariah. And point number two, an old man's savior. Beginning in verse 67, I'll put some of these verses on screen for you, actually, as we're going along. And his father, John the Baptist's father, Zechariah, was filled with the Holy Spirit and prophesied, saying, Blessed be the Lord, God of Israel, for he has visited and redeemed his people, and he has raised up a horn of salvation for us in the house of his servant David, as he spoke by the mouth of his holy prophets of old, that we should be saved from our enemies and from the land 
at the hand of all who hate us, to show the mercy promised to our fathers and to remember his holy covenant, the oath that he swore to our father Abraham to grant us that we, being delivered from the hand of our enemies, might serve him without fear in holiness and righteousness before him in all our days. And you, child, will be called the prophet of the Most High, for you will be going before the Lord to prepare his ways to give knowledge of salvation to his people in the forgiveness of their sins because of the tender mercy of our God, whereby the sunrise shall visit us from on high to give light to those who sit in darkness and in the shadow of death to guide our feet into the way of peace. And the child grew and became strong in spirit and was in the wilderness until the day of his public appearance to Israel. So our, our time is going to be short this morning, and we don't have time to highlight all of this, but I hope that you notice while reading some of these things clearly, there's some similarities between Mary's song and Zechariah's prophecy, which is like a song as well. They both focus on who God is and what he has done. He has sent a Savior providing for f- salvation who will save us from our enemies, showing mercy on the humble and fulfilling all of his promises, including sending the forerunner who is Zechariah's own son, John the Baptist, who would proclaim the knowledge of salvation to all who would repent and then through this Savior receive forgiveness of their sins. Now, there's some similarities, but there's one key difference between Mary's story and this old man Zachariah story. It's a key difference. It's very different. From earlier in his story, we, we, we learned that he was a faithful servant in the temple. He was a priest, and he had been doing this for a long time in rotation as one of the priests, primarily once a week for his whole life, probably from his early 20s. And by this point in time, he's in his mid-90s. He's an old man. He's a very old man. We learned that he was very old, likely, as I said, in his 90s, and, that, and he actually said that is, he was old, and my wife, she's advanced. Now, those are his words. Right? Like, I, I don't think that would be wise to use that, but those were, it, it's in the Bible, okay? That's how he described his wife. But he also let us know that she was barren, unable to provide their family a son, and hear this, importantly, an heir. Then on this day, as he's in the temple... Burning incense, we also are told that a whole multitude is outside praying for him while he's in there burning the incense in the temple. What are they praying for? It's been 400 years, and the prophet Malachi Malachi basically told the people of Israel that God was not happy with them, but there have been no prophecies, no mention of the Messiah. Nothing had happened for 400 years. They're praying every day at the burning of the incense that God would send his Messiah. And they're praying that outside of the temple while he's there. While Zechariah is burning the incense and also praying, the angel Gabriel appeared to him. Fear comes over him. But the angel tells him not to be afraid. And then the angel says this to him. Do not be afraid, Zechariah. For look at this. Your prayers, plural, have been heard. And your wife Elizabeth will bear you a son, and you shall call his name John. So we can assume two things from this text. First, his faithful prayer, the, pardon me, the faithful prayers of the multitude and Zechariah as he's burning this incense has been answered. 
has been answered. Secondly, a prayer that he'd probably given up praying has also been answered. Zachariah, you're going to have a son. You're going to have a child, you and Elizabeth. You remember praying for that a long time ago? Zachariah is doubtful because he has forgotten to pray about that. He's given up. And his words next really reveal that. It says in verse 18, he says to angel Gabriel, how shall I know this? How shall I know this? For I am an old man, and my wife, here you are, is advanced in years. Well, at that point, the angel Gabriel's a little perturbed with him, explains to him who he is and that I come from the throne of God and I am speaking on behalf of God and I've just told you what's going to happen because of your unbelief. The angel Gabriel strikes him deaf and dumb. He's completely deaf. He comes out of the temple and he can't speak. And so Zechariah, the old man, has to spend the next nine months while his wife is pregnant carrying their son deaf and dumb. Lots of time to think, don't you think? Lots of time to ponder what is going on. What Gabriel has said to him. This was, of course, despite years and years of faithful religious service. I think there's only one way for us to see what God has done to Zechariah. It's his judgment upon him. He's judged him for his unbelief. So it seems that he, he became guilty of what I think many of us can become guilty of and some of you may be guilty of here today. He was bitter. It's bitterness. God not providing for us what we hope for. You know, for all these, all these years while he was faithfully and righteously doing his job as a priest in the temple in front of all of the people of Israel, every week doing it faithfully for 10, 20, who, who knows how many years. He's not only praying for Messiah, but for a son, because I'll tell you what, in that culture, in that day, a man of his stature, a priest in the, in the temple, not having a child, a son as an heir, that too could be seen as a sign from God of judgment because of maybe some sin or unbelief or unfaithfulness in your life. And he keeps at it. He keeps at it. So for Zechariah, at least, he'd become bitter towards God. When his son, John the Baptist, is born, as we see in our text here today, his response is wonderful. His response is good, right? And it's a testimony to all of us, I would suggest. His voice returns to him. And his words at the beginning of a song of praise and worship are very, very telling. They tell us that he has truly repented. He's had nine months to think about this. He has his son. Mary has shown up in their home, and they know who she's pregnant with. This is absolutely amazing. So his words tell us that he has truly repented and now fully trusts and promises the promises of God. A young woman's savior, an old man's savior. Where's the best story in this? Where do you think the best story in this? Well, I want to suggest to you it's this. They needed a savior. They both realized they needed a savior in different ways. They knew they needed a savior. 
And when the Savior was revealed to them, put in front of them, they trusted. Mary as a young woman, Zechariah as a very old man. Well, as we've done each week, we want to look at our texts and discover the best story ever. Where is the best story ever? The Christmas story here. It's great. These stories are great of what we've seen happen in their lives, but where is it? Where is it today, do you think? Well, obviously, Jesus being the Savior is a best story ever, isn't it? I mean, the birth of a Savior is part of the best story. That's a wonderful thing. But how do we we share this reality, frankly, of this story alongside the fantasy stories that are being told in our world today? Well, how about this? How about we think about it this way? Here we have a young woman and an old man in comparison, right? Each, at this very point in their lives, has found their Savior. In the case of Mary, she's been clearly raised in a very faithful Jewish family. She's gone through the betrothal process. She has an aunt and an uncle, who, an uncle who's a priest in the temple. So she's been raised in, quote, a Christian, a believing home. She's been taught the Torah. She's been homeschooled. She's been really, really blessed with the whole story of God and the hope for a Messiah. And she's just 13, 14, 15 years of age. And she has this hope for a Messiah. But, but then what happens is right at the point where she's, she's hoping for marriage, she's looking forward to marriage, and God shows up and plans have changed, she's at the point in her life because of her upbringing, because of the faith all around her that's been poured into her. She's immediately able to say, my Lord and my God, at 13 to 15 years of age. She's able to respond that way. Listen, I want to suggest to you that should be some really good encouragement to most of our church because we're babied up here. We're we're a church when when, when it says, uh, go forth and multiply. We've taken the Bible very seriously. We have lots of kids, okay? And it's a good thing. But this should be a great encouragement to you, moms and dads and grandparents and others in the church who care for our children. They're upstairs right now being taught about Jesus. They need to hear the Christmas story in their homes. This young woman's testimony is a very good testimony and should be a great encouragement to you. It's not, a, it's not like taking Proverbs out of context, that it's, it's a promise, it's a guarantee. But think about it. Think about all the pressure in this world of all the other stories, everything else that's going on. How do you compete with that? Tell them about Jesus. Read the stories to them. Explain to them what's going on and why. And maybe when they're 13 to 15 years of age and they hear a sermon, hopefully, they hear a word, they hear a testimony that immediately when they are, they're spoken to in their hearts by the Holy Spirit, immediately they respond and go, I want to be baptized, Mom. Dad, I want to be baptized. I believe in Jesus. Would that be an encouragement? I would hope so. That could be the best story ever in your life and your family, right? It can begin at Christmas. On the other hand, we have this old man, right? We got the story of this old man. And first, maybe you've been, listen, maybe some of you have here been been faithfully religious most of your lives. You've been attending church pretty regularly, but not all the time, right? Uh, You you know, you occasionally drop something in the offering jar, you know, and and maybe you've been going through life and you've been religious and and maybe you're even living a life where you're thinking like, well, look, I'm not sure I believe in the Christian God or that God or any God for that matter, but if there is a God, 
I mean, I would assume, I mean, look at me. I mean, I'm a pretty good person. Look at the way I live my life. You know, like I don't cheat very much. You know, like I try to do my best, you know. I, I, I mean, maybe you're thinking that. Well, I think we can learn from the story of Zechariah that we can be very religious, but we can also become bitter. And sadly, sometimes that can become a hard heart. Don't let that happen to you this Christmas. This is an opportunity for even the Pharisee, for the religious person, the non-religious person, to come to faith in Jesus Christ, to humble yourself and come to the understanding that you need a Savior. Finally, let me leave you with this thought. Isn't this what everyone is actually looking for at Christmas? Aren't we all looking for a Savior I was thinking about it this past week. Two weeks ago, I listed to you all of the top movies that are out at Christmas. You know, It's a Wonderful Life, and on and on they go. I, I'm not going to list them all again, but I'm going to encourage you to something. Go home today, pick your favorite Christmas and Christmas movie, and ask yourself a question as you're watching these Christmas movies. Who's the Savior? Who needs saving? I'll give you an example. Elf. It's a favorite around here, right? Everybody loves Elf. Who's the savior in the movie Elf? Anybody know his name? His name's Buddy. Who's Buddy trying to save? His grumpy, bitter old dad, who's not finding any joy whatsoever at Christmas. So listen, I I think the hope of all Christmas stories, I think the hope of all movies that we go to watch where there's a hero who's a savior is that we all know we need saving. We are looking for a Savior. And so the hope of all these Christmas stories that we make up is that all things will be made happy and joyful and wonderful and bright and cheery, even for a few days. It's our feeble attempt to escape something, though, isn't it? It's our attempt to escape what we know is true. There is darkness out there. There is suffering. There is pain. There is loss. Some of us in our family in our church today are experiencing great loss. Great loss, as we will pray about shortly. Then what happens, of course, on January 1st is we're all back to reality, right? It's all back to the regular going about it, right? Even though we've poured everything we can into the next two weeks to make it happy and joyful and live out the story, it ends up being as Mary put it, isn't it? We are sent away empty. My prayer for you, our prayer for you this Christmas is that doesn't happen this Christmas. Friend, today you and I can have the hunger of our hearts fully satisfied, but only in one place, only in one place, and that is our Savior, the Lord Jesus Christ. If you're young today, if you're old today, turn to him, fully turn to him. Celebrate him this Christmas. Amen? Amen. Pray with me, would you?